Good morning, Christchurch families. We are the Mariner family. I'm Anna. I'm Melanie. I'm Paige. I'm Keelan. And I'm Sharon. And my husband Ryan wasn't able to be with us this morning because he's working. But as a family, we have the honor of welcoming you all to online worship today with us. So we all really miss you, and I hope we can get together soon. It's been nice to um, worship at home with our families during this time. But we are so grateful that we can still join together and worship as a church online. Yes, as it says in the scriptures, wherever two or more are gathered, he is there. So we just want to recognize uh, the Lord's presence this morning. And we just pray and hope that you are blessed by today's worship and message. And we cannot wait till we can all be together in person um, again. Get ready to worship God. I was breathing, but not on life. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my turn till I Oh, 
here today with open hands and an open heart, ready to depend on you to help us through the day and all the things that it might bring our way. God, help us to be like Nehemiah. Help us to come to you for guidance, for strength, provision, for protection. God, as we face tough choices and hard situations, Help us to remember our belovedness. Help us remember that we are your kids and your representatives to the world that's around us. God, I'm reminded in Scripture in Psalm 25 where it says, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. God, today we give you who we are. Help us live today in a way that brings honor to your holy name. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Together we say, amen. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you on this warm Sunday morning. Sundays are always my favorite day of the week because we as a whole church family get to gather together to worship our Lord. 
and not even just our Christ Church family, but we get to join all of our family members, church family members from all over the world together on one day to worship. So it is just so good to be with you even if it's digitally. Now, I'm reminded that the Lord tells us that when more than one of us are gathered, the Lord's presence is there with us. And so wherever you are, um, you are standing on holy ground. And so I just want to remind you to take a moment and, and remember that the Lord, our, our Savior Jesus, is with you right now. Now, I wanted to thank you as a member of our family ministries team for all of the many ways our church family has been generous. You all have provided so, so gener generously to us. I've had the privilege of seeing our teeniest members all the way up to our seniors in high school take steps to get to know Jesus more. I've seen them come to know and love our Savior Jesus, and seriously, what is more important than that? So thank you for all of the many ways you have been generous. Just this past weekend, we had the opportunity to celebrate our graduating high school seniors. And as we were celebrating and um, in the time leading up to it, I was just reminded of how um, strong our, those students are. Those students are going to be our future leaders, leaders in the church and leaders in our country. And so thank you for the ways that you have so generously provided to our ministry so that we can uphold and support those students. Now, if you um, would like to participate in our tithing and giving, there should be um, a reminder how to do that just um, below me on the screen or in the host uh, chat. You can check that out there. It is also just a, an incredible joy to be together in worship again today. I know a lot of us have really missed the chance uh, to be doing this in person. And uh, we are steadily moving back toward the day when we're going to be able to look around and see each other's faces and hear each other's voices uh, in person. And one of the steps that we're taking toward that is to establish a new tradition this month of Wednesday worship times together. Uh, we have uh, really had fun with this already now for two successive weeks. We've been gathering out on our parking lot. We've had live music and prayer and devotions there. And uh, literally hundreds of people have taken advantage of this already. So I want to give you a special invitation. Uh, maybe you haven't even tried this yet to consider coming to be part of Worship Wednesdays with us this coming week. Uh, we're going to open the parking lot, so to speak, at 6 o'clock, and the actual program will begin at 6.45 and run to about 7.15. We ask that uh, you would bring with you a, a lawn chair or a blanket or something to comfortably sit upon. Uh, we're going to be socially distancing as we have all along, and we're wearing masks out of consideration for everyone around us. Uh, some people are choosing to stay in their cars, and we provided an area for people to come and park, and they can tune into an AM radio station and get all the information, the music live, right broadcast right into their car radio uh, in that convenient way. 
Uh, it has been an incredible chance uh, to bask in the beauty of God's creation and to find inspiration and to feel what it is to be part of physical church again. And we'd be just so thrilled if you came uh, to be part of that. So once again, this coming week at 6.45 to 7.15, uh, you can get there as early as 6 o'clock if you like. You can bring a drink. You can bring some food. Some people have even been tailgating with their families there. Uh, we'd love to have you be part of this. And if you can't be here in person, please know you can also uh, watch this on Facebook Live. You know, one of the other great traditions of Christ Church's uh, uh, ministry has been the offering of remarkable concerts at various points in the year. One of the most popular of the concerts is our annual Pops concert. We're not able to actually offer that in person this year. Uh, looking forward to next year and being able to bring that tradition back. But our musicians have done an amazing job of preparing a very special online concert that's going to be aired uh, two separate times in the days to come. On August the 1st at 7 p.m. and then on August the 2nd at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I want to encourage you to invite some friends over. Use this as a social gathering. Uh, you can tune in via Facebook Live and enjoy this amazing concert. Uh, we brought in a, a, a remarkable array of very talented uh, soloists and, and duettists and ensembles, and you're going to hear uh, some fabulous Broadway pops standards and some marvelous jazz selections. Uh, we have uh, singers and pianists, and we have show tunes, and we have uh, selections from Hamilton and South Pacific and The Sound of Music and Carousel and Ragtime and, and so much more. You're not going to want to miss this incredible music extravaganza. So once again, on the 1st at 7 p.m. and on the 2nd at 3 p.m., uh, enjoy uh, what we're calling Summer Sounds, Broadway show tunes and jazz standards. Uh, it's going to be a terrific uh, time. So thank you so much for uh, listening. We want to return to worship now and uh, pray that God will speak to your heart and keep encouraging you uh, through our time together. Well, we have uh, been thinking in recent weeks about six crucial callings for our life together as Christians. These are callings that we find both taught and modeled by the Apostle Paul in his famous letter to the Philippian church long ago. And today, I want to unpack calling number five for us. I want to invite you to join me in exploring in depth two of my very favorite verses in all of the Bible. Uh, listen to the word of God as it speaks through St. Paul and, and listen to these powerful words. Paul says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, there are three words that I think sum up the calling of this particular teaching. And the first word I want to invite you to think about that is essential to our life together is the word focus. Focus. Uh, Paul puts it this way. 
But one thing I do, talk about focus, one thing I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. How many things there is Paul concerned with doing? One thing. How unusual is it to meet somebody with that kind of focus? Very, I think. If we're honest with each other, most of us will admit that our lives today are so often dominated by this relentless effort to keep so many different things in our sight. How many of us, I wonder, actually have single-item to-do lists? For those of us who do, that one item probably reads something like, buy another bottle or get some sleep. Those single ambitions, when we do arrive at them, are so often just our momentary fix for the much deeper underlying fact that we have got so many ambitions, most of us. We want to be terrific. We want to be tan and toned and talented and tranquil. We want to be better at parenting. We want to be more proficient at cooking or music or school or sports or sex. We want to keep up with that particular show or with these friends or with those uh, significant needs out there. And very little on this very long to-do list we have is bad. What many of us lack, however, is a first love. A supreme priority, a one thing whose pursuit could enable us to much better prioritize and respond to all of the other stuff that tugs at us or tantalizes us. And what we need, I'm going to suggest to you today, is focus on at least one thing that will improve everything else about our lives. Uh, speaking of being distracted by a lot of programming, I know I've been watching uh, in recent days this new show on Apple TV Plus that's called The Greatness Code. I don't know if you've had a chance to catch any of it. Uh, the show features these short interviews with people like uh, women's soccer star Alex Morgan or uh, football great Tom Brady or track phenom Usain Bolt. And as these figures describe decisive moments in their careers, you begin to notice how all of these different people are describing a similar experience. They, they describe this time when the world around them suddenly seemed to hush. And what they needed to do most became crystal clear and they just rose to, to peak performance in response to that. You know, I read an article from the BBC just this past week that explained how researchers have now got a name for that particular design, uh, phenomenon that gets described in the Greatness Code. The researchers call it the quiet eye. The quiet eye. It's the sort of enhanced perception that enables the athlete to somehow eliminate distractions and even anxiety as they prepare to make their next move. For example, kinesiologist Dr. Joan Vickers uh, hooks up a group of pro golfers to this device that monitors their uh, eye movements as they're performing their tasks. And what Dr. Vickers finds is that the better the player is, the longer and the steadier their gaze on the ball was just before and during their strike. Novices, by contrast, that would be me, <laughs> 
tended to shift their focus between different areas of the scene. And it was the supreme focus, the quiet eye of the prose that accounted in part for their genius. You know, the Bible teaches in many places that there is often a correlation between the way that the body works and the way the spirit works. How many of you would like to develop the kind of character that grows calmer and clearer when you're under pressure? How many of you would like to have a greater supply of, of wisdom or power that enables you to perform at a higher level in your various relationships or when the difficult moment of challenge comes? What about an ability to handle pain and suffering and maybe even the approach of death itself without being overwhelmed by despair? How many of us would like that capacity? Well then, let's learn from the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Philippians, he tells us that he has learned, first of all, to focus. He writes again, but one thing I do, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, like a lot of us, Paul had probably once had a pretty extensive to-do list. Uh, getting a little more religion and ritual in his life, perhaps, was part of his interest or finding a bit more balance between spiritual pursuits and worldly ones, or, or doing some fine-tuning of my character, or, or trying to set a moderately better example for the kids, or, or seeking some help with my anxieties, or, or hoping to rack up more heaven admission points. These are the sorts of things that many of us have on our to-do lists alongside of the other more mundane objectives that I mentioned to us earlier. Paul would say, however, that the ultimate prize, the one thing we all ought to put at the very top of our list and make, in a sense, our magnificent obsession is knowing Christ intimately is becoming more and more like him, even where that involves suffering, and of abiding so deeply in Christ that we're just filled up with his resurrecting power in this life and in the next. I want to know Christ, he says. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him, even in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. One of uh, the figures that I enjoy in the popular Christian uh, community is a gentleman by the name of Francis Chan. Some of you uh, will have read his book, Crazy Love. And uh, Francis Chan once said to his Southern California congregation, you know, a lot of people come to church for the wrong reasons. They don't come because they really desperately want to know Jesus. They come because they want something from Jesus. Did you, he asks, come here for him? We're really glad you're here, he stresses. But what are you after? What's going to bring you back next week? 
Churches, he says, fill their, their rooms, or in our case, their live streams every single week with promises made to people, promises of money or health. People go to church uh, sometimes thinking, if God will heal me. I'll go to church if God will heal my child, if God will get me a job in this economy. So, says uh, Chan, People are coming to church in droves, particularly all around the developing world today where the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is a huge thing. And they're coming to church thinking, I'll take Jesus if he'll make me rich. I'll take Jesus if I get to keep all the things I have. I'll take Jesus if I get to maintain this great lifestyle. I'll take Jesus if I get to hold on to some of these little sins I cherish or, or these immoral relationships I've got going on or this way of talking about politics, I'll take Jesus if I can still be popular, if I can still have this, if I can still be unchanged in the way I handle conflict. But, concludes Chan, the biblical gospel has never been about I'll come to Jesus if the biblical gospel has always been about I'll follow Jesus even if, even if I lose my family, even if my health deteriorates, even if people are throwing rocks at me, even if I lose everything I own, I still want Jesus because he is that great. That's the biblical gospel, says Chan. Over the years, I, I will confess to you that I, I have tried to come at life in the way that Francis Chan describes it, albeit very imperfectly at many times. But I have tried to keep as my one thing the pursuit of knowing Christ, of becoming more like him, of abiding deeply enough in him every week that his resurrecting power fills me up and produces something better than I could create on my own. I have pursued that heavenward prize. I have done it believing that the closer I get to Jesus, the better I'm going to be as a human being, as a child, as a spouse, as a parent, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a citizen of this country. But I will also confess that I have often felt shackled by certain conditions in my life that have slowed my spiritual progress toward that prize. How about you? Pastor Bev Savage supplies an image for this that I found really helpful. Savage describes a, a group of horse trainers who established this cruel contest in order to demonstrate the quality of their horses. The trainers harness the steeds they have to this overloaded wagon. And then they lock the wheels, and then they urge the horse forward with the goal that the creature that manages to pull his or her impossible burden the farthest will be declared the winner. And as the animals struggle against this incredible weight, their masters stand there just whipping them, whipping them more and more mercilessly. 
Some of the poor horses strain so greatly that they literally tear muscles or damage their hearts, and some of them even have to be euthanized. They're so destroyed by this activity. Even the so-called winner horse is a loser, for the race does not develop them. It destroys them. Sometimes I feel like I'm one of those struggling horses. Sometimes I feel like some of the people I know in our church or in the community around us or I see in the world beyond are like this too. Maybe you can relate to that experience yourself. We're just out there really wanting to make progress in the spiritual life, in the life of the character, in the, in the realm of relationships, but we're pulling against some terrible, heavy weights and until we can get a way to, to get free of those weights, we could have all of the right focus in the world but still not be able to draw closer to Christ or become more like him or really feel his resurrecting power in us. And this is what I'm convinced the Apostle Paul means when he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize, first, he says, by forgetting what is behind, by forgetting what lies behind. Think of the harness that attaches us to the wagon that lies behind. Well, the Greek word for forgetting implies casting off, as if casting off the harness or cutting ourselves free from these chains that are holding us back. Uh, forgetfulness in this biblical sense is akin to the idea that the writer of Hebrews uh, stresses when uh, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, Bev Savage uh, suggests that there are three significant weights that keep us back in the Christian life and which we need to forget, we need to cast off, we need to be freed from. One of the weights that many of us face, uh, Savage suggests, is the, the bad that has been done to us. Uh, people do pretty heinous and awful things to other people. They abuse and betray, they abandon and criticize, they fail to love or support the people they should, some of us come out of our families, therefore, or our schools, or our workplaces, or our neighborhoods, where a whole lot of bad was done to us, or a whole lot of good withheld from us. And the bitterness, or the sadness, or the shame, or maybe even the confusion that this kind of hurt produces can become an unbearable load that impacts our ability to move forward in life. A second devastating drag on our spiritual progress can be not the bad done to us, but the bad we've done ourselves. Some of us listening right now are aware of sins of commission or of omission that haunt us terribly to this day. We're aware of our trespasses, we're aware of our debts, and we know we need forgiveness for both, but we all wonder whether that's even possible. We're aware of the hurt that we've inflicted on other people. Uh, we're conscious of these various moral failures along the way that we know we're guilty of. 
the lies we've told, the lust we've allowed, the, the selfishness and pride that we've exercised, the relationships we've injured or broken because of our part in them, and even the nagging knowledge that we are probably blind to half of the ugliness about our character and our conduct that many others, and certainly God himself, uh, plainly sees. Well, this is a burden that slows our progress toward the prize of the life that we could have in Jesus Christ. And then there's the most insidious weight of all. I'm talking about all of the good we've done. Some of us aren't going to make much progress in knowing Christ or becoming like him or experiencing his resurrecting power in our lives because we're already pretty satisfied with ourselves the way we are. We're harnessed to this wagon that's full of all of the stuff that we believe makes us already pretty exceptional people who don't really need a lot of forgiveness, who don't really need a ton of improvement or a lot of power to do something new. What's the wagon against whose weight you struggle most? What's in that wagon? How did it get there? We know from reading the scriptures that the Apostle Paul struggled personally with all of this stuff. As we discussed a few weeks ago, uh, people had done terribly bad things to Paul. He'd been beaten and whipped and imprisoned and shipwrecked and maligned and mishandled many, many, many times over. He uh, actually writes this letter to the Philippian church while under arrest, under house arrest back in Rome. Paul also knew what it was to be profoundly burdened by all of the bad that he had done himself. Paul had been a wicked guy in a lot of ways. He had stood by and watched as his comrades brutally lynched a man named Stephen. You remember the George Floyd scenario. Paul was there. He was there when Stephen died. He could have stopped it, but he held the coats of the people stoning Stephen to death. Paul had persecuted and sent many Christians to jail, to torture, and even to death. And Paul also struggled mightily with all of the good he had done. In fact, in Philippians 3, verses 4 and 6, Paul details what an accomplished, righteous person he had always considered himself to be, that had kept him blind to the horror of all the things that he had done wrong. And then Paul met Jesus. He met him on the road to Damascus in a famous encounter. He caught this blinding glimpse of the staggering holiness and the goodness of Christ himself. And paradoxically, it opened Paul's eyes. And he realized that he was not even close to morally pure. No matter how righteously he had kept the law, no matter how many good deeds he'd done, Paul saw that if he was going to be saved, it would be entirely because of Christ's righteousness and Christ's love and goodness. And so he threw himself in humility at the foot of the cross. And to Paul's abject wonder, he found that Jesus met him with an amazing grace, so much larger, so much stronger than all of the bad that he had done. 
And Paul's experience of being forgiven like that made him willing to now turn and like Jesus himself, start forgiving the people who'd done bad to him and even start showing grace towards those who knew not what they did. The whole orientation of Paul's life just shifted. He says uh, in his writings to the Philippians, uh, but whatever were gains to me, which means whatever I placed too much value on in the past, I now consider loss, he says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider all those things I put my trust in before, my hope in before, I consider them garbage. And the word that he actually uses there for that, that gets translated garbage is actually the word, uh, the common word for excrement, something to be flushed and forgotten, no longer weighing him down. He said, I consider it garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from doing uh, these right things, but that which is through faith in Christ. And then he goes on and says again, I want to know Christ. This is the one thing that matters most to me. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. In a nutshell, Paul found a whole new focus for his life. He was able to forget, literally to be freed from the good and the bad that had weighed him down in the past. And in a beautiful sense, Paul was then finally able to fall forward. I choose that particular language and that image because Paul so often describes uh, the spiritual journey like it is a great race, a race for a really amazing prize. And, and I know from my own experience, as some of you may know from being part of racing sports, I was on a collegiate rowing team. I run a bunch of marathons. Uh, others of you have been in races of various kinds. We know that there come these points in every significant race when you get really tired and want to give up. You feel like you're not going to be able to finish on your own strength alone. You pray for a grace to come upon you, a second wind beyond yourself, and you just keep falling forward in a sense. You just keep praying, daring to believe that there is a greater power that is with you, that is, sees you, that's holding on to you and giving you strength to take the next step and waiting to receive you with the open arms of joy when you one day cross the finish line. And thus, Paul, drawing on that image, says, not that I have already obtained the prize or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In 1971, the revised edition of John Stott's monumental book, Basic Christianity, hit the bookshelves of the world. 
Shortly thereafter, this great English theologian received a letter. And the letter read as follows. Dear John, it said, thank you, thank you for writing Basic Christianity. It led me to make a new commitment of my life to Christ. I am old now, nearly 78, but I'm not too old. I'm not too old to make a new beginning. Yours sincerely, Leslie Weatherhead. Leslie Weatherhead was, in 1971, one of the most influential Christian leaders in the entire world. Weatherhead had written best-selling books. He preached to thousands of people at London's famous city temple every week. He was a pioneer in the field of pastoral counseling. He was the president of the Methodist Conference. He was a member of the Oxford Group, out of which emerged the movement we now know as AA. And yet at 78 years old, Leslie Weatherhead was not too proud. He was not too tired to make a fresh commitment to Christ. How about you and me? Could you make a new beginning today? You can. I can too. Forget the wagon that lies behind you. Have faith. Jesus has freed you from all that excrement. Focus now on knowing more of Christ. Make that the one thing above all other things in your life. To know him until you become like him and are filled with his power for living. You and I can fall forward into that future. So press on for the prize for which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. Please pray with me. And now, gracious Lord God, grant, I pray, the power that each of us needs to live into the glorious possibilities for which you have come to save us in Jesus Christ. For this we pray in the powerful name of that Savior. And all God's people said, Amen.
counting on your grace again less of me and more of you i just want to see you
That's the great truth. This is the great opportunity available to every one of us. There is a God who loves us, who sees us, and is with us in the race. And so we press on together to claim the prize of the heavenward calling in Jesus Christ. We're so thrilled you could be with us today. We look forward to joining again in worship next week. Uh, do, don't, do remember to connect with us for Worship Wednesday and for our touch points throughout uh, each and every weekday evening. Uh, may God bless you as the journey goes forward. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and until we meet again and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>